Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello and welcome to the podcast with myself, Galen Stops from 360T. And today I'm joined by Kirsty McGilvray, Head of Multi-Asset Dealing at Keynes Capital. Kirsty, firstly, thank you very much for joining me today for the podcast. Thank you. So the first thing I wanted to ask you today was, you're, as we just said, you're head of multi-asset dealing. What does that actually mean in the context of your firm? Because I do feel like sometimes that can mean different things to different people. Yeah, sure. So we are a multi-asset asset management firm managing mandates and equity fixed income, and we have a separate multi-asset desk. This dealing desk is independent of those three asset classes. We report directly into the CIO and we execute all trades that are generated by those three asset classes. So we have a separate reporting line. We're independent from the portfolio managers and we're entirely in charge of the execution process across those asset classes. So then for you, what are the key challenges that you've experienced in building and maintaining a technology stack for multi-asset trading? The main challenge is that one size does not fit all. However, we're very lucky that we have an order management system that covers the asset classes. So all the trades to be executed come in through the one portal to the desk. And so therefore, they're all coming in with the same mandate compliance checks, the same trade process with portfolio managers and authorizers and so on before they land at our desk. Thereafter, we do then have to create different technology across the asset classes. And what we have tried to do, I mean, there are some providers that will say they can do multiple asset classes and so on. But actually, what we've tried to do is build a best of breed for those individual asset classes. My team is structured in that there's equity dealers and fixed income dealers, but there's also a little bit of crossover between the two for cover if required. So actually, everybody is able to access all the systems. Typically, they won't, they'll concentrate on their asset class. And how difficult, or perhaps not, is it for you to ensure that the data flows freely across a multi-asset trading unit? I think because of the setup we've got, it's not too difficult because we have got all that sort of data coming in through the one portal and then going out to the relevant asset class portal, if you like, or execution venue. What perhaps is harder and maybe even more so now we're in a kind of remote working situation is that the communication flows freely across the desk. It's very easy when you're all sitting in an office beside each other just to shout over the desk, say, I've got that. We don't have that anymore. And in the first couple of weeks of being at home, that was the hardest thing to get used to. Our setup, our technology was exactly the same as we had on the desk, but I no longer had a colleague sitting right beside me or across the desk from me to shout over to. And that has been the trickier thing to do. When we talk about multi-asset approaches, is it a challenge that even if buy-side firms such as yours do adopt a more multi-asset approach to trading and handling orders, it's not necessarily replicated on the sell side, which are obviously much larger structures to re-silo and rejig things to a more multi-asset approach? Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely the case. The sell side are still very, very rigidly structured, not even just at the asset class level, even at the segments within those asset classes. And very often, there's little communication between them. And so we will occasionally, it happened to me just the other day, you're talking to somebody at a bulge bracket who wants to phone up and talk about why they're not getting any, any business or not as much business as they would like. And you sort of explain to them, hold on, you're my number one counterparty in this. And they say, oh, <laughs> they're getting better at it, but they're still not great. 
and so very often there is a lack of understanding as to the business that's coming through. I was on the sales side 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and um, we did try to create that multi-asset sales desk, if you like, but it never really took off. Why not? Um, I think actually the clients maybe didn't want to respond to it either. And again, the market structure in the instruments that you're trying to trade in are quite different. And so it just became a bit messy and not very efficient. When we talk about technology trends in different asset classes, do you see technology from one spilling over to the other? I feel like in FX, for example, you know, the constant conversation is equities style tools being taken and applied in FX. Given that you look across multiple asset classes, do you see firsthand this kind of borrowing and adapting and adopting of different technologies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, fixed income up until fairly recently was predominantly still a voice market. And that has moved more and more electronic. There's still a lot, certainly in the UK, done through voice. But it absolutely has been borrowing concepts from equity, the kind of RFQ type model and so on. But also the analysis that are done on a kind of for best execution purposes with MIFID 2 coming in in Europe in 2018, we all of a sudden had a higher bar to show that we were monitoring those execution outcomes. There were a lot of providers went around at the time saying, oh, we can do that because we do TCA for equities. So just plug your bond prices in and you'll get the same. It didn't work or it didn't work as well as it works in equities. But these concepts are good because you then talk through them and you get to a point where actually you do have a concept that works. So I do think equities have been the market leaders in a lot of this technology and a lot of this market interaction and a lot of the analysis. So when we look across different asset classes then, is the trend inevitably towards even more electronic trading, even more equity style trading, do you think? Yes, I think it is. And I think there's still an element of this business requires you know, the, the face-to-face conversation. But absolutely, the kind of STP process is definitely the way things go. For me, heading up a dealing desk, that's what I want to see because it reduces that manual risk. And that's our biggest risk on the floor is that manual risk. And the more we can build in electronically and with STP and checks and so on in there reduces that risk. We have seen, you know, fixed income since MIFID. You know, if I think a couple of years ago on my government bond trading, we were still doing a large proportion of that by voice. Now virtually everything is done electronic. And that's the way shifting the, the liquidity is there, the sizes available, you know, is, is there. So I, I do think it will continue. So my next question for you is a two-parter. Firstly, I want to get your thoughts on, given again your kind of multi-asset view, what is your views on the age-old and still somehow ongoing debate of FX as an asset class? And the follow-up to there is, you know, you mentioned that you've worked on the sell side before, you're on the buy side now. How has kind of the FX as an asset class debate been different within different organizations that you've worked in? So I think, you know, your podcast from the other week sort of touched on this as well in terms of FX, is it an asset class? Is it just a risk that you have to manage? Um, I think what's definitely come to the fore is that FX is a risk within your portfolio, but you can't just manage it like a risk because you can get a return. If you manage that FX correctly, it delivers a return. Therefore, I think it is something that requires active management. There are a lot of people now start to run passive hedges, but actually the recent volatility that we saw through March, April would lend that you want to be managing this actively. And actually, you need to be focusing on the correlations of individual currencies with equity markets because they change. They're not static. So you do need to actively manage this. On to the second part of your question, 
Yes. Until quite recently, in many places, FX was regarded as an administrative thing that you just had to kind of fix the FX after you've done the trade and get rid of the FX exposure. I think now that we are slightly moving away from that, but there's still not a lot of uh, managers out there who actively manage the FX. Very often it's just, I want to hedge it away, just go straight back to base and hedge it away. There are more and more starting to realize that there's benefit from. And when you see you know, when you're starting to look, you see markets that such as we had March, April time, FX in itself can be an excellent risk mitigating tool on your whole portfolio. And that's what managers are starting to look at now. Interesting. And then the last point I wanted to ask you about, which was before I do these podcasts, I always look up the person on LinkedIn just, you know, to make sure we're not letting on any old riffraff onto these podcasts, <laughs> Kirsty. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile picture, it had a, an image of a campaign for more diversity and inclusion in buy-side trading. I assume that this is kind of something that you're interested in. So I really wanted to get your thoughts on what practical steps can be taken as an industry to make this more inclusive. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I was on a panel. I actually looked before this to see when it was. It was the end of January this year. I was on a panel where we were discussing what could we do. And one of the things that came up was, could we offer working from home? And the consensus was, end of January, no. We might be able to offer it a little bit, maybe one day a week to work on a special project, but this is a job that can't be done from home or can't be done remotely. If the last three months has taught us nothing else, it's certainly taught us that all our jobs can be done on a remote basis. And that coupled with the campaigns certainly that are going on in the UK and Europe at the moment for a reduction in the market hours should allow, hopefully, a more diverse bunch of candidates to come into this industry. There's a great kind of macho culture of presenteeism in financial services and in particular on dealing desks that you have to be in there at your desk by seven in the morning and you still have to be there at seven at night. And you know for many people with family commitments uh, looking for a work-life balance, one that's not attractive but two actually it's not possible. So I do think we can now be a bit smarter about how we are constructing the working day you know, making sure we have cover, people do early shifts, people do late shifts, we can do things like that. There's lots of things that we can do. Part-time is also something that would be possible. Uh, And it's interesting, actually, just in the last couple of days, there's an article appeared with the FCA, the UK regulator, quoted uh, saying that when they're doing their culture audits of firms, they will be looking for the firms that are offering flexible working to try and encourage that more diversity to come in and get rid of that sort of presenteeism culture. So there haven't been an awful lot of positives to come out of the pandemic. Do you think that perhaps one of them might be the fact that being less tied to this presenteeism and this office space will enable firms to be more diverse with their hiring practices? I think it will be. I think it will be, you know, it's enabling firms to have a think about what is the purpose for the office and what do we need from employees and and what commitment do we need from employees and so on. So I absolutely think it will be the case that we can now offer you know, I've got several of my team have got significant commute. At the moment, they don't have that commute. That's a far nicer work-life balance that they have now got. We need to start looking at things like that because we do want to get diversity of opinion in the industry. You know, we need that challenge. We need the new thought to come in. We've already touched on the technology that's now available and the new technology that's coming in. It needs new people to come in and challenge and question and suggest. And we'll only do that by creating a work-life balance that attracts people to this industry. Kirsty, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's a really important point. And hopefully, this, as we say, this will be one of the positives to come yeah. out of this. And that's all I had for you this week. Kirsty, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our chat today.
Thank you very much. That was lovely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings. Thank you.